looking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw. Devontae Parker. Holy smokes. What a drive. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we've got another day of OTAs coming your way. We're going to cover that next week on the podcast, though, as today we're talking about another rookie under contract as Jalen Phillips' deal is finished. We're going to look at the PFF top 10 on the defensive side of the football. We're going to look at some film with DJ Fluker and John Jenkins, a pair of veteran signings post-draft this year for the Miami Dolphins. We're going to preview the AFC West and get to your questions on the Twitter mailbag, a busy, busy Friday show. Let's go. That's another Miami Dolphins. We do start here with the news that the Dolphins came to an agreement with first-round draft pick, the second of two first-round draft picks, number 18 overall, outside linebacker slash defensive end slash does a little bit of everything, Jalen Phillips out of the University of Miami. He has his contract. He is ready to go. He is officially a Miami Dolphin, and he shared this really cool story on his Instagram the other day talking about the journey that took him to Miami a couple of times. He said, three years ago, I got hit by a car and had three surgeries, three bones removed. Three years ago, I left my dream school, which was UCLA, and the game I had played since I was seven. I was depressed and had crippling social anxiety. I worked a desk job at my dad's law firm while interning at iHeartRadio. I weighed 218 pounds. I barely got on that plane to go to the University of Miami. I was terrified, he says. Last year, I was a first-team All-American at the most storied university in the country and just signed a contract as a first-round draft pick in the NFL. Who knows where I'd be if I didn't take that leap of faith. This is just the beginning, but damn, I'm proud of how far I've come. Never give up. And I've been putting some personal touch on this podcast since I took over. I believe that the podcast is about the person doing it as much as it is the information. So, you know, I really resonated with this message here from Jalen Phillips because in 2019, I was kind of in this purgatory of sorts with the career as far as what I was going to do in the next step, you know, trying to figure out something beyond locked on dolphins before the Miami Dolphins uh, job came up, came about to me. And I was contemplating going to training camp on my own dime in 2019 because I knew that was a great way to get recognition, to get exposure, and to really build the following because going to camp and covering practices for a the fan base that largely can't see that because if you're not in South Florida, you can't go to the practices. It's not like you can watch a football game on Sundays. I just knew it was going to be a good opportunity for me. And I'll never forget when I got down in South Florida late at night, of course, a long flight across the country. I got to my Airbnb and it wasn't cleaned up the night before. There was trash all over the place. The sheets or the, there was like a new pair of sheets that had to, had to be put over the bed. And I got there and I was just thinking like, what am I doing right now? And then, you know, it was that moment of doubt, kind of like Jalen had mentioned with the flight back to Miami, going over to the new school and being nervous as hell. And I was just as nervous to go to training camp and get back, you know, into the building and find my way around. And this is none of this is team sanctioned at the time, just a fan showing up at training camp, trying to get my notes in. So it was a leap of faith I took. So I really resonated with that message there from Jalen Phillips. And I'm very happy for him. Very excited to see what he can do here in Miami. And of course, he joins a Dolphins defense that ranked number one in third down defense last year, number one in takeaways in the National Football League, and still has the longest streak for most consecutive games with a takeaway 
at 22 heading into the new season. And they finished, of course, sixth in scoring. They entered week 17 first in all three of those categories, and that did not hold up at the very end. But I was looking at Pro Football Focus's top 10 lists. Not in the top 10 defensive lines, not in the top 10 linebackers. They were the number 10 secondary, according to Pro Football Focus. I thought that was worth mentioning here with this Dolphins defense that I think has gotten even better than it was last season. All right, so we've talked about Jalen Phillips on this podcast and his tape and his metrics, his workout numbers, all the fun stuff with this draft class. A couple of guys we did not get to because of just, I guess, the overall busyness of the schedule of the offseason and the draft and post-draft and getting those great interviews on the podcast that we had was I just didn't get around to covering John Jenkins and DJ Fluker as far as their All-22 goes. But I finally got around over this week to the tape of those two players who came down late in the process. We did Jason McCourty on the pod last week, and I wanted to get to both Jenkins and Fluker today. Two guys that have played a ton of football. They play with really good technique and just know what the game and being a pro are really all about. We start here with John Jenkins. In 2019, I really thought he was... One of the better players up front in that shuffle of defensive linemen as Coach Flores and crew really tried to uncover potential long-term fits and get a lot of guys a lot of snaps up front on that team in 2019. But Jenkins could really penetrate the backfield in the running game, but also in the passing game too. But mostly, I thought he provided two things that are just invaluable in this defensive structure. Number one, he played a lot of positions. Even at 327 pounds, he could run the nose or he could kick out and play head up over the tackle as that four technique. But mostly, it was nose, a one shade off the shoulder of either uh, either shoulder of the center, and some two technique in a lot of those bare fronts the Dolphins run. You cover up the guard, center guard, with a defensive lineman that's your bare front he ran plenty of that as well and then number two he can really eat up double teams and we'll talk about this in the fluker film review but you need to be able to turn those guys out and move them if not just a foot or two hopefully a whole gap and Jenkins can drop that knee and take on those blocks and absorb that space and if he can do that with both Benardrick McKinney and Jerome Baker working in behind him in the stack That could be a lot of fun to watch this year. There's some exceptional two-gap tape as well. In fact, a clip I pulled from the Steelers game a couple years back on Monday Night Football was just picture perfect on my Twitter timeline. And you can see guys work on this on the bags in practice where you engage the block, you shoot the hands, you lock out, straighten out those elbows, you get your eyes in the football, and then you work to get off the block and meet the ball carrier. There's a lot of reps just like that for John Jenkins in 2019, and a big reason why he came up with 21 run stops that season with 38 tackles to boot. That's a lot of production for an interior defensive lineman. He's also very capable of shooting the gap and redirecting and working back over the top of the block, which allows him to be wrong and then get right after the fact that you're wrong because you're not going to be perfect on every rep, right? So he can shoot across one side and get back into the correct gap. He has the work, the 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 hip, the loose hips and the footwork to get himself back into those positions. And then last year, he was really even more productive with the Bears from a run-stop standpoint. 16 of them on just 132 run-down reps. That was nearly as many run-stops with about half as many run-down reps. And just one year later with the Bears again, it's a lot of the same stuff. Check out his Week 16 tape against the Jags where he was just dominant all game long. He could bluff a rush on a half-man where you rush the outside shoulder, then cross-face and work back into the gap he wants. He plays with a plan. He knows how to set guys up and work on tendencies. He's a fun player to watch, and I'm really happy he's back. Another newcomer in the trenches is DJ Fluker, and DJ isn't just fun on the field. He's a character off it as well. I played the audio from that great clip where he and Tyler Lockett remade the Russell Wilson Seattle 
We got a deal video that he made a couple years back when he had that extension. But as far as on the field, when he's got to cut off and seal somebody, you're not just you're just not going to get around him as a defensive lineman. The wingspan, the power, and the anchor are all on display when he does this. And it works at either guard or tackle, really, to be honest with you. And it's different watching guys block for a quarterback like Lamar Jackson because you see him and really the entire Ravens offensive line. They often have to work and reset and reposition their placement because of how constantly moving the pocket is with Lamar back there making guys miss and getting in and out of trouble uh, for the Ravens in the backfield. And you probably won't ask DJ to pull out in space a whole lot, but I really like the way he operates in short area in terms of getting a guy out of a gap. There's a Bengals game late in the season last year where Sam Hubbard is working like hell to just plop himself in that B gap, kind of cross the face of the tackle and, and disrupt the guard and create space for linebackers to come in and blitz off that, that stack on the inside. And DJ has to just turn him out a few times. He's able to do it. And Hubbard's no slouch. He's a big, big defensive end, 270 pounds. And that's where the size and power of Fluker comes into play. His hands are devastatingly strong. That same game, he gets some upfield rushes, and I really appreciated the gamesmanship of both he and Hubbard, the opposition in this instance, uh, where they were trying to figure out who was going to throw the hands first, and there was this constant battle to not be first to pull those hands out, and when Fluke would show the punch, he could then pull back and then quickly refire that punch, and you see him jolt the opposition where their shoulder or maybe the under part of the face mask or their hand just gets kind of ripped back because of that power he throws with those punches. So he's big, strong, powerful, can really turn out space in the running game. And I thought he was at his best in short yardage when the defensive line just wants to park that car in a gap and let someone come in behind them and make a play. DJ is really good at moving that guy, even just that foot to create a chance for his back. And you know what that tells me? tells me he's a fantastic option to come into the game in heavy personnel packages, six or seven offensive linemen on those short yardage and even more importantly, goal line runs. There was a lot of Julian Davenport and Rob Hunt early in the year before Rob became a starter where they would come onto the field and help get push off the edge and get surge off the edge. Of course, we use Solomon Kinley or, or Christian Wilkins sometimes at fullback and shuffle things up. But I think that Fluker as the end man in those situations provides a lot of value. So that's the quick synopsis there on DJ Fluker and John Jenkins, a couple of guys we just didn't cover on the podcast. I wanted to give them their due since they signed here and we covered everybody else and just haven't gotten around to those veteran signings, but now they are in the books. Let's go ahead and pivot now towards the Twitter mailbag. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter. You reply with a question. I answer your questions here on the podcast. And did we, did something happen? Because we only had like 11 questions this week. Usually it's in the 40, 50, 60 range. Just wondering if uh, maybe I put it out at the wrong time. I don't know. You let me know and we'll get some more questions here in the future. But there was a question about driving cars and, and minivans and SUVs. And I was just wondering this because the other night we went to dinner with a one of my wife's closest friends and her husband and I have become friends because of that relationship. And I just think she's the best and he's awesome. And they have four kids and they've kind of taught us about being parents a little bit. And one of those things they taught us was that our minivans cool. They have this blacked out minivan. The rims are black. The windows are tinted. The car is black itself. And they talk about how they've got the, the screens and the headrests. And she drove the wife from San Diego up to Washington State. That's where they're from. He's, he's a military guy, and they work on the base down there in San Diego. And they drove all the way up the coast, and the kids were just quiet, and she was listening to her audiobooks because of the, the space in the minivan. They've got the WSU sticker on the back because they're both WSU alums, or at least she is, I should say. And that popped. So it's got me thinking, like, are, are minivans cool? 
I'll tell you my own personal story. When I had a rental down in South Florida, I was tweeting about it. I showed you guys my my flare on, on the minivan. I did not feel cool at all when I took that thing to the beach. I don't really think I'm a purveyor of cool at this stage, though. Like, I wear three outfits. That's it. I rotate them pretty much, like three or four outfits. And, I mean, even today, for instance, I tried typing out TikTok on a text to a friend, and it auto-corrected to Tokyo's. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm the guy that should be talking about cool, but I just wanted to put it out there. Are minivans cool? That's my question to you. Let's go ahead and get to your questions here on the mailbag. This first question here comes in from Patrick Perkins at 518 Perkins on Twitter. If you had to cover another NFL team, who would you pick? Ah, that's a tough question because part of me wants to say a team that I would get the most enjoyment out of. You guys know I'm a huge Kyler Murray fan, so the Cardinals come to mind at first. But I think when it comes to location and being around the team, the Seattle Seahawks, so I can be back in the Northwest, where I grew up, where I'm from, and my wife and I, I think I told you guys on the podcast last week, we took a little a little weekend trip or a one-night trip away from the kiddo, and we stopped in this town, Snoqualmie, that I've been to a, a hundred times. I've never actually gone to the town because there's a casino there where I've been. That's where I've been a hundred times, but there's a little town, like a little quiet mountain town, and it looks like that's where you would shoot like any movie of all time. <laughs> it's it's just the, the prettiest little town, and there's so many of those up in the Northwest, and even though Seattle's kind of eh, coming on some hard times right now, being in that area, being close to the Mariners, which even though we're going through a breakup right now, I would love to be back in Seattle if I had to make that move. So give me the Seahawks plus Russell Wilson, you know, makes them relevant every single year. So they're they're winning. And that's always a good a good part of covering a team too. So give me the Seahawks for that question. Next one here comes from Dr. Alex Hernandez at DRAA Hernandez on Twitter. How does off-season training look like for each position group? How are they similar and how are they different? What does the non-physical training look like? That's a great question. And actually one that I've kind of asked a couple of the players specifically guys that play multiple spots. Like I was curious to ask Zach Sealer, for instance, since he plays so much end and tackle, like what is the difference in terms of how you prepare yourself for either position? And he basically just said, it's about, you know, the different techniques and, and football is football, but the different techniques you have to learn, but mostly the, the outside's more speed, the inside's more power. So he really works on both of those anyway. As far as the rest of that question, it's kind of hard for me to answer it because I'm, I mean, I'm just not the one that's out there doing it. Like I can ask the players for you and get a better firsthand account of that. But in general, I think it pretty much starts with weights. Um, there was actually a story the other day that Julio Jones said he doesn't like lifting weights. He only does what the team, the team mandates of him to lift weights and he finds other ways to work out. And there's definitely like explosive training and stuff with bands and, and all that stuff. And the new age, I should say bodybuilding that is just different than what I grew up with, but still it's it's pretty much like weights, conditioning, on-field work, film. It's a whole a la carte version of what you would do in season minus all the hitting and trying to kind of get your body right. But you go back to like what Tua's trainer said, for instance, waking up in the morning, getting the workout in, going on the field to throw the football, and he goes back home and does his film work too. So I'm sorry that's not a great answer to your question, but it definitely varies by position. But mostly it's about like recovery, the intellect side of the game, getting stronger, and then, of course, going out there and doing the stuff on the football field. Next one here from Tone Toto at Tone Lantern. When does the new practice facility open, and will you be giving us fans a virtual tour? Great job, as always, and congratulations on the move to Florida. I don't think 
I'm going to be doing the tour necessarily. I know that we have a great social and video team that can definitely do a much better job than I could. Let me get back to you on that tone. I'm not 100% sure on that, but we should have the new facility open and going here by training camp. And I'm, I cannot wait because I've seen it and it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's everything you want. And it's got the hard rock stadium and the backdrop behind the practice field. It's, it's just fantastic. I, I can't wait to get in there. Next question here from Sean at JZUCF03. Which wide receiver draws cornerback one coverage, Fuller, Parker, or Waddle? That is a tough, tough question. I think it might vary because you've got three pretty unique skill sets there. And I think that you've already got Parker and Fuller are so established in what they are as players. We talked about this in Devontae Parker's uh, breakdown the other day, how he is so good at winning inside. And then he also has the threat to go vertical on you because of that great 50-50 skill set and the way he high points and plucks the ball. And I talked about this in 2019, the way he can use his body to kind of create separation when the ball's in the air. What I mean by that is like you watch him in that 2019 season, he'll elevate for a football and the cornerback's right there, but he kind of throws his body into the corner. So he's kind of falling into the cornerback with his eyes and his hands away from the, from the cornerback. And it forces the DB to really be in a, a bit of peril. And then Parker with those long arms can just snatch that ball. So he, to be able to do that, to have the inside and outside win rate of that, that's, that's going to acquire some or require some attention from the defense. Will Fuller, to me, is one of the best route runners in the National Football League, and he showcased that last year, both vertically and short. He separates immediately. And then Jalen Waddle, to me, I've talked about how much I love his game. I, I We'll see how quick it happens for him, but his suddenness and his burst, I think it's going to show up, if not instantly, pretty soon. And so when you talk about those three skill sets, it might vary because look at how the Dolphins defend players. You know, they're going to the Dolphins go with, with Jones and X on either side of the field. I actually asked Byron Jones that last season, and he said, I play right, or, or I play one side, X plays the other side. And you can do that. You can also shuffle based upon matchup, and you can kick guys inside based upon who moves inside. So I think that's kind of how the NFL's evolved that way. I mean, there's different ways to do this, and this is getting kind of long-winded here, but you can bracket the number two guy, or the, the number one guy, and then put your best corner on the number two guy. So like, for instance, let's say you want to put Let's say you're matching up against the Buffalo Bills and you want to bracket Stephon Diggs and then maybe you put Xavier Howard on, who's the number two there now? They just brought a new guy in, uh, Emmanuel Sanders. Sorry, I kind of skipped my mind there. There's, there's just so many ways to do that. But as far as who I think can draw that number one coverage, I'll start off with Will Fuller because of the fact that he can beat you deep quickly and that's the number one thing you have to defend. But he can also snap that thing off quickly and create immediate separation underneath. So I'll go with Fuller, although the answer is a lot more contextual than just that. Next question here from Is It Football Season? You're, you're telling me, man. At not underscore Mr. underscore Delecto. What kind of impact will Charlie Fry have on Tua and the offense? Will he be included on making weekly offensive game plans? Yeah, of course. It's a collaboration of the coaching staff. They've talked about this a lot and how they want to bring in guys that have different experiences, that have different perspectives, that can provide something that, you know, it's unique to that individual. And I think Charlie Fry, number one, the fact that he played in the NFL, the fact that he was around a West Coast scheme with Mike Sherman, or not Mike Sherman, excuse me, Mike Holmgren and 
uh, Matt Hasselback, as well as the rest of the crew. I'm, I'm drawing blanks on names today, guys. I apologize. His time with the Seahawks when he had the West Coast principal there with that Matt Hasselback offense. And I think that he took that. He went to the college game with the Chippewas at, at uh, Central Michigan there and learned some new concepts and, and aspects there of the spread game, the running game out of the spread. And you have to go back to the relationship with Tua, of course. You mentioned what kind of impact will he have on Tua. He worked with him at the Elite 11 camp. So they have that built-in relationship and communication, kind of knows how the guy works and what makes him tick. So I think all those things combined make for a good a good opportunity here for Charlie Fry and Tua in the quarterback room to make something special. Next question here from Paul Smith at Miami Fan seventeen seventeen. What is Cameron Wake doing these days? Do you think Miami will ever bring him back on a single day contract so he can retire a Dolphin? No clue. Absolutely no clue on that. Cam, when when I briefly briefly covered Cam at the very end of his career. He, he was pretty private. He talked about that, about how he's just kind of to himself. He's not a much, you know, in the public eye kind of guy. And that's what you see him doing now. I mean, we, like you ask, what's he up to these days? I'm not really sure because he doesn't, you know, put, put himself out there and good for him. You know, he earned that right. And I remember he would also talk about, you know, the thing I admired most about Cam was how he prepared his body and how he prepared just to, to be the best version of of what he was as a football player. And I think we got that for a long time. He was one of the elite pass rushers for a decade here with the Miami Dolphins. And he talked about how, like, I can go skiing. I can drink a beer after my playing career is over. So in my mind, like in my my vision of, of fantasy, I hope Cam Wake is somewhere on a ski slope, ripping up the, the slopes and having a nice cold beer at the end of the night. But otherwise, man, I don't know. It's, it's a mystery. I have no idea. Next question here. I'm not going to even try. I'm just going to spell it out. It's at R-U-A- LJO. I would just butcher that if I tried. So let's just go ahead and move on. What is the best time of year to visit Miami for home for a home game slash family vacation? The the closer to the end of the year, the December games when it's 75 degrees and sunny and it's just perfect out and you can actually make the walk from your car in the parking lot to the gates. And you know, I wear I have to wear pants and a polo, so I, I'm not in the shorts like you might be normally, but when you can make that walk and not sweat, it's a win. And December is about the only time you can make that walk without sweating. And then, you're, of course, you're outside of rain season. That's when you can get some good weather on the beach and go to the beach. But you also might get some days where it's not like blistering hot. So you can go enjoy a nice lunch or a dinner on a patio somewhere. So I would just say December, try to find the best game on the schedule there. Maybe you come down and watch us play the Jets. Maybe the season finale against the Patriots on January 9th. I think those are some good options. But also those games against the Panthers and Giants late in November, early December. I think the Baltimore game on Thursday night football on November 11th would be a great option. So if you're talking about weather-wise, the late Later in the year, the better. Final question here from Connors at Lee Connolly one snap answer. What's our record next season? I can't give you that in a snap answer because it requires context. And I was thinking about this question a little bit. And I, I sometimes go back through the archives. I talked about this in a podcast a couple days ago where I, I look back at what I've learned about myself as a writer and a podcaster and a journalist. And when I ask questions and press conferences and everything that you do in this job and how I can get better and where I was having some shortcomings. And one of the articles I went back and read recently was this story that I put out there in 2019. You know, all of the tank for Tua narrative was out there and all that really annoying stuff. And I I wrote an article saying that, because I did some research, that if you finish with the first pick in a draft, typically those coaches don't last very long. Like they, they, they wash out after a year after that or maybe two years after that. And they probably don't get another crack at it again. And so... In my belief in Coach Flores, I wrote a story saying, like, you have to choose between the first pick, which at the time, before the injury with Tua in the hip at Alabama, was slated to be Tonga Bailoa. He was, you know, the, the tank for Tua was what everybody was talking about that offseason. 
And so I wrote the story about how you have to pick one because either the coach is going to win more games than that, or you're not going to have a chance at the quarterback. And because of just insane circumstances, it all worked out. So I was a big believer in both coach and Tua from the start. I've kind of been, you know, I talked about this in the podcast before. I predicted five wins in 2019. I predicted 10 wins last year. So I'm on track with that. And the story arc of my character basically here on the podcast, and I use the word character with quotations, is that I've been kind of building towards this and believing in the the process and acquiring draft capital and maximizing the, the resources and allocating things in the ways that win football games. I believe in what Chris Greer is doing. I believe in what Brian Flores is doing. I believe in the talent on the roster. I believe in the quarterback. So to me, like, I think you can improve upon last year's 10 wins. That's definitely within the question for me. You know, 11, 12, 13, like, I think all within possibilities if certain things happen to, to go a certain way. So give me that range. I'm not going to give you an exact number, but that's what I'm thinking so far as this team continues to improve year in and year out under Coach Flores. All right, successful mailback. Actually, less questions. We got to answer all of them. So thank you for putting those in there. A couple more here I want to get to from the iTunes review, the Apple podcast review. And remember our agreement on a previous podcast. If you put a five-star review in the Apple podcast reviews, we're going to read it here on the podcast. So this one comes in from Rain of Taylor. Question for the pod. Hey, Travis, love the show. Listen to you and Kyle daily. You every other day, obviously. And you guys are both fantastic. Thank you. Kyle is the best over there at Locked On Dolphins. Hope the move goes well in the process of moving my family into a new home as well. Stressful and exciting for sure. I haven't heard yourself or Kyle give any insight regarding Chris Sims, number 34 rank quarterback to our boy Tua. I'm definitely not saying he's going to be great. I think deciding either way is ignorant and premature at this stage. I consider myself very knowledgeable of the game and I can't help but be extremely excited for Tua's chances for success. Last year's experience and offseason of health, conditioning, and strengthening offseason voluntary workouts with his receivers and not to mention his cerebral capabilities. The list could go on a lot further. I'm curious, what do you make of the perception around Tua right now? Well, I think that last year he had Tua as the number 40th quarterback on his list. So I think that he just wasn't a big fan of his game coming out of school. And I think it just kind of goes back to that microwave society as far as like, you know, Daniel Jeremiah has talked about this and like nine games into the kid's career, you, you probably don't have a good idea of what he is as a player. And that's kind of the the mode we're in, not just in football, but in life in general. Like we have to have instant gratification. Things have to happen right now. So I think that just the perception of what's going on around, you know, the quarterback position and around Tua. I Here's my advice. Just listen to what Coach Flores and Chris Greer have said because they're the consistent ones. They're the ones you have to listen to. They're the ones that put the investment into Tua that scouted him, that went and did all the background checks on him and found out everything about what makes him tick. I would just put your trust in those guys because to this point, they've earned it. Like what, what else do you need? Just trust the coach and trust the GM. That's my best advice for that type of stuff. Next question here comes in from Joey AK7, who says, Top notch. Thank you very much. Congratulations, Travis. My fiance and I have been following every episode since last July, mainly with the motivation of learning about the details of the rebuild, and we both wanted to get Tua. Fast forward to today, and Coach Flo and Co. has brought us to relevancy and created a bright path towards the future. Congrats on drive time and best wishes in becoming a dad. We are looking forward to you coming here to South Florida. You've already got a fan base growing and glad to hear you have closed on a house. Excited for the future of the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Thank you. That's a great, I mean, I don't know, question. Just a nice review. We appreciate that. Get us your reviews, get us your questions, put them in there, and we'll read them here on the podcast. 
Let's go ahead and finish up here with our roundup of the AFC West as we continue our di division by division preview of the 2021 NFL season. And we go to the AFC to the West and we start with the Chargers who made a bunch of moves in the offseason. Although most of those moves were draft picks and one big free agent, they brought in Chase Daniel to back up Justin Herbert. The big addition was Corey Lindsley to the offensive line. They bring in Matt Filer from the Pittsburgh Steelers, probably moves to guard either him or Rayshon Slater, who was their first draft pick. They also signed Ode Abushi from Detroit Lions. He could compete for a job up front. Jared Cook is there at tight end. Christian Covington, Kyler Fackrell, Ryan Smith, the cornerback of the Bucks, and Asante Samuel Jr., their second pick in this draft. A couple of the storylines I'm looking for here is Derwin James and his return to the lineup. One of the best players in the National Football League for my money. Can he get back to health? Because I just want to watch him play football. He's so much fun when he's out there. All pro as a rookie, was dynamic at Florida State, just a super athlete, super player. And how does he operate in this Brandon Staley defense, which is one of the better, you know, he coached up one of the better defenses in the NFL last year in the Rams. It's kind of got shades of the Vic Fangio scheme there. And so it works in terms of pressure rates and techniques and different things they do. But I'm really curious to see how Derwin James fits into that defense. And can he just stay healthy? Because he's so much fun to watch. Speaking of the scheme and system, Austin Eckler is a one of my favorite running backs in the National Football League. And he comes into an offense with, uh, Mike Lombardi that was ran with the New Orleans Saints. He's here now as the offensive play caller with the Chargers and kind of the same things that Alvin Kamara could do. Maybe he can do some of those same things. Maybe not to the same degree, but man, Eckler is a very underrated player and a good one. Uh, and then speaking of that same offense, Jared Cook comes over. He could possibly help this offense get up to speed quicker to communicate the stuff on the field from the coach since he has familiarity in that offense. And then speaking of veteran additions, Corey Lindsley, how valuable that can be for a young quarterback because he can be the guy that kind of calls out your protections and lets Herbert just kind of look at the coverage behind that and get you in the right protection to say, hey, we have to slide this way. We have to pick up that guy. Give me the back end protection, whatever it might be. Corey Lindsley, one of the best centers in the National Football League. But when you have... Uh, they pretty much rebuilt the entire offensive line. So how quick that gels and how quick that acclimates could be a serious, uh, a big question for this team going into training camp and into the season. Off the edge, they lose Melvin Ingram, but I think that you're allowed to do that because of Yuchenna Nwosu out of USC, who's had a good career so far, been a big fan of his game. And the depth at that spot up front is not great, in which that's another question for me is, does Joey Bosa stay healthy this year? Because if he's not healthy, the depth gets really thin there all of a sudden for that Chargers front. They put some new guy, new pieces in the defensive secondary. I am curious who plays inside and who plays outside between Chris Harris and Asante Samuel Jr. Both guys can really play inside, but I think both can play outside as well. And then the depth behind that, behind those guys and Derwin also is something I'm questioning on this Chargers defense. Can they stay healthy? That's been the biggest reason the Chargers have not made deep runs in the last you know decade under Phillip Rivers at quarterback there. They just never stay healthy. They've also had so many just charger going to charger, man, like those crazy finishes at the end of games, whether it's a bad coaching call, you know, perception, the perception of a bad coaching call, a missed field goal, or just something wacky happening at the end of the game. Those are things they're going to have to button up. But I think you have the quarterback in place there. You've got weapons. You've got a new offensive line. You've got playmakers on defense. We'll see if it finally comes together for the chargers, but they've got some exciting pieces on that team going out to the desert for the Las Vegas Raiders, the one team in this division on the Dolphins schedule. We will see them in week number three, September 26th in Las Vegas at 4.05 Eastern time. 
They add Kenyon Drake, former Miami Dolphin, John Brown, former Buffalo Bill. Lots of speed on the offense there. They add a couple of offensive linemen to replace a lot of offensive linemen they lost. Alex Leatherwood was the number 17 pick in the draft. And then Sam Young, another former Miami Dolphin, their swing tackle down there in Las Vegas. Yannick Ngakwe has been all over the league the last couple of years, but he lands in Las Vegas. See if he can recapture that form he had with Jacksonville. Love Darius Phylon from the Chargers. He comes over, divisional rival, now with the Raiders. Solomon Thomas and Malcolm Kuntz, they really remade that defense in general because they, they kind of had to. They finished towards the bottom of the league. Divine Diablo, a nice safety linebacker hybrid in the draft they find. Casey Hayward, a great addition to the secondary. Trayvon Morig, a rangy safety out of TCU. And Tyree Gillespie was a fourth-round draft pick who I thought belonged on day two, if not early or not late on day one. Love his game out of Missouri. So defensive overhaul, you draft three safeties, although Diablo's kind of a linebacker. You get rid of Paul Gunther, you bring in Gus Bradley. The cover three defense that he kind of grew up in isn't really modern anymore. We'll find out how he adjusts to the new, the new age of the NFL and just what kind of defense he goes with. There could be some cover three in there for sure, but I'm sure he'll mix it up a lot more. They remake the linebacker group entirely last year with Nick Kwiatkowski and Corey Littleton, and it didn't really work out that well, so I'm curious to see how it works out in year number two with those guys in a new defense. And then in the defensive secondary, Damon Arnett and Trayvon Mullen, those guys have played a lot of football. It hasn't gone well in terms of the production, but they have all the talent in the world. I'm curious to see if they can find a way to get that production going in the right direction. Last year, the offensive line... And it's been that way for a few years. Since John Gruden got there, the offensive line's always been a strength. And then they got rid of them all. Gabe Jackson's out. Rodney Hudson and Trent Brown are both out as well. So we'll see if they can remake the offensive line to their vision with Leatherwood and with Sam Young. And when I would do the the third and 10 evaluations of the quarterbacks back in 2016, that was the year that Derek Carr was in the MVP race. I thought, man, this offensive line really makes this thing go because they hold the protection up so long with these four verts this Raiders offense runs, and then Carr throws it up deep to either Amari Cooper or uh, who was the other? Seth Roberts they had that season, and they'd also have the running backs in the backfield they could check it down to if the, the guys didn't get open vertically because that offensive line was so stout and so strong. So it helps them play kind of safe and aggressive or safe and conservative football with the running game with Jacobs and Kenyon Drake. We'll see how that kind of has a snowball effect on the rest of the team. And then also, they haven't been able to finish in December. Curious to watch that storyline for the Raiders this year. They've always kind of gotten to December in the playoff hunt, and then they kind of fade towards the end of the year. We'll see if they can buck that trend. Out to the Rocky Mountains, the Denver Broncos. They add Teddy Bridgewater, Javante Williams in the draft, also Mike Boone at running back. They bring in Quinn Minerts on the offensive line, Baron Browning at linebacker, and in the secondary, they get Kyle Fuller. What a heck of a get that was. Ronald Darby and then Jamar Johnson, those rangy safety out of Indiana with great, great ball skills. And speaking of him, I loved their entire draft class. Patrick Sertan, one of the best corners in the nation. Javante Williams, I think, has the opportunity to be one of the more complete backs in football. Quinn Minert, just a great story on the offensive line out of Wisconsin Whitewater. Baron Browning does some good things at linebacker. Caden Stearns, we talked about Jamar Johnson. Seth Williams, they get Jonathan Cooper in the seventh round. Really good drafting this year from George Patton and the Broncos. But the quarterback competition slash decision this offseason is where you start on this team, where you end on this team. And going back to my third and 10 days, you know, I would write about the camp battles and who would win. And the biggest lesson from that study was that the competition, unless it's like an unproven rookie like Russell Wilson back with Matt Flynn in 2012, if you have a competition, at the end of the year, you probably are back in the quarterback market. That's usually usually how it goes. That was the big lesson I got from that. 
But otherwise, they have an embarrassment of riches, especially at running back with both uh, Melvin Gordon, I almost said Melvin Ingram, but also Javante Williams. Talked about how much I love him, the smooth feet, the pass catching, the work he does as a runner and breaking tackles and the highest ever elusive rating at PFF in college football grading history. And can they get the most out of the weapons offensively with those two running backs? Jerry Judy, Corton Sutland's healthy again, Tim Patrick, KJ Hamler, Noah Fant, Albert O, and of course, all those backs we just discussed, they were still a bottom third of the league offense last year. And they really have the weapons and a strong front. So as often as it does in this league, it kind of could come down to the quarterback once again. They did so well to address the pass defense this offseason with Kyle Fuller and Ronald Darby and getting Patrick Sertan, who's just an absolute monster. But at the cost of possibly taking Justin Fields, that'll be something Broncos fans revisit every offseason as the definitive franchise quarterback has kind of eluded them since Peyton Manning called it a career back in 2015. But I think you look at that that dynamic of this team. That's the big storyline. Justin Fields, how does he perform versus what Drew Locke and T, uh, Teddy Bridgewater do? On the offensive line, Dalton Reisner is one of my favorite players on that team and, and the recent draft memories out of Kansas State. He played at literally every position there at K-State, but has locked down a guard spot there with the Broncos. Love me some Lloyd Cushenberry. You've also got Garrett Bowles, who had a career resurgence, and then the addition of Quinn Minerts. Again, this offense has talent. Defensively, we talked about this with uh, Brandon Staley. That scheme travels well. Vic Fangio's influence is all over the NFL. Lots of two high looks. And how they went out and brought in a perfect, perfect cover two corner in Kyle Fuller, who will help them not just get off the field, but take the football away. He's one of the best guys at punching the ball out, getting picks, getting fumbles. And I'd also love to finally see a full season of Von Miller and Bradley Chubb together. I love that they brought back Justin Simmons because his range, his smarts, his versatility really boasts what Fangio does with different looks and to cover a lot of grass when they blitz. Denver was middle of the pack, just below 28%, but he does a lot of stuff to replace and fill when they do blitz. And then his red zone coverage is really what makes that defense great with Justin Simmons patrolling back there, had the walk-off pick against Miami last season. They bring back Miller, Kareem Jackson, and Shelby Harris all retained. Von Miller, I should say. So good work there to get the guys back. And I'm curious to see what happens with this Broncos team. Von Miller had an interesting comment the other day about how he doesn't want the Peyton Manning days to be his peak of his career. And to me, nothing will ever top his Old Spice commercial. So Von Miller had a great career so far. Interesting Broncos team. This whole division is very interesting to me as we go into 2021. And we finish with the Chiefs. Not much to talk about here, man. I mean, they went out and added Jarek McKinnon, Orlando Brown, Joe Tooney, Austin Blythe, Creed Humphrey, and Mike Remmers, and Trey Smith all to the offensive linemen. They knew their weakness. They knew why they lost that Super Bowl. And they went out and addressed it. Got to protect that half of a billion dollar investment at quarterback. And boy, is he worth it. And Patrick Mahomes on defense. They go out and get Jerron Reed, who was one of the best interior pass rushers in the game. Love Kamale Correa who played with the Ravens and the Titans recently. Nick Bolton, their first draft pick in the second round. And then Mike Hughes, a nice little addition in the defensive backfield. See if he can get his career off the ground after not working out with the Vikings out of UCF. And again, there's not much to talk about here. This is the best team in the NFL, despite what happened in that Super Bowl for my money. The quarterback, the play caller, the head coach, the playmakers on defense, the weapons on offense. Hill and Kelsey is the best one-two punch, and it has been for a while for my money. And Kelsey is the absolute key in the middle of that team. You can always find guys to to give you speed, I think, in a way. Although Tyreek Hill is much more than just a speed guy. But Travis Kelsey and the matchups, the way he dictates, and putting speed around the way he creates space in the middle of the field has been a master stroke. You've got Miko Hardman and Demarcus Robinson out there too. So they have speed on top of speed. But Travis Kelsey, to me, is the straw that stirs that drink. And I absolutely love Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and think he's going to feast eventually, maybe even possibly have 
MVP type of numbers for a running back this season, if not next season, if not this season. I think he's really on track to be a big time player. Again, they've remade the entire offensive line with Orlando Brown, a draft pick going over for him. Joe Tooney, the big offseason acquisition in terms of free agency. And Creed Humphrey, who's one of the most plug-and-play ready centers, I think, in the NFL right now out of the draft. Austin Blythe and Mike Remmers. And then Trey Smith, who has so much upside but fell because of medical in the draft. Love what they did on the offensive line. Pairing Jerron Reed inside with Chris Jones kind of seems unfair. They were both league leaders in pressures at specific positions last year. Two eye and three techniques. That was from the Doug Farrar USA Today article. So Reed and Jones causing havoc on the interior, getting pressure up the middle right away. And then Tyron Matthew and Juan Thornhill, who is finally you know two years removed from the season-ending injury. Can't wait to watch those two guys work together once again. My division bests are the best players, Patrick Mahomes. The best quarterback is Patrick Mahomes. The best defensive player, I'm going to go with Derwin James if he's healthy. I, I mean, I loved this guy so much pre-draft, calling him a temperature changer, a franchise changer. And he made me look very smart that first year with the all-pro designation. Just hasn't stayed healthy. If you're not going to count him because of the health, I'll take Tyron Matthew next. To me, the best coach is Andy Reid. I think the division champion is going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. And playoff teams, I'll stick with just the Chiefs for now. I think they are a 13-14, maybe even all the way up to a 17-win team. We'll see about that. Chargers are my number two in that division, but I think closer to the 500 range, maybe a 9-10 win uh, range for them. And the Broncos in the same category, maybe a step below at 8-9 wins. And then I think the Raiders will have some work to do to match last year's win total. So there we have it, the AFC West. We're going to keep cranking these things out, continue to get you guys OTA coverage. We'll have boots on the ground next week at OTAs at Miami Dolphins mandatory minicamp to close out next week and the offseason program before we head into mid-June into or end of June beginning of July, and a little bit of a lull before training camp, which will be here before you know it. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts from, go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. You can follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcast, and of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.